Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. Today the topic is going to be how you go from your mission statement in which you brought focus to the business you want to start or you understand better the business you're already in. I would hope that you discovered that the thought process you went through to do it was meaningful and helpful to you and perhaps even more important than the statement itself. Having consolidated all of the elements of your business into single words or phrases that encompass them, your next step will be to focus on using the constraints you've created to expand them into as many diverse elephants as possible. You're going to go through a very structured process to translate the concept you've qualified into the numbers that will quantify your financial ability through your business to finance your dream. The first step in doing this will be to set your goal, to calculate just what your dream will cost you. This time, if your dream includes someone else, your significant other, your kids, it'll be a good idea to get everyone together that's old enough to share that dream and talk about it. Ask each of them what they'd like to see their life like in five years. What would their daily lives look like? What are their goals? It might be fun to have a green light brainstorming session to build a list of those activities and possessions that describe the life you'd like to work for. If you don't know what green light brainstorming is, you should listen to my previous podcast about making decisions. Don't forget to include enough money to give you the option of retiring at an age when you're still young enough to enjoy it. Although, truth be told, if you've selected a business on the basis of the pleasure it gives you to do it, that age might be a lot later in life than conventional wisdom is determined in years past. You'll also not want to neglect putting enough money aside to handle emergencies and enough insurance to cover catastrophes. Peace of mind is an important element of a dream. But have fun. Think big. Don't deny yourself anything as you build your list. There'll come a time when you discover you'll have to make trade-offs, prioritize what's important to you, and give up some of the things that are more outlandish. But the end result, assuming you come up with a feasible plan, will be that you'll be able to have all the things you want and can afford. Once you've defined your lifestyle, then create a budget for it. Set down a dollar value for all of your expenses and research the ones you've had no experience with. That'll give you a sense of what you're shooting for in a perfect world. The sum total of costs represents your goal. Now you're ready to do the work of discovering where the funds are going to come from to give you what you want. To do this, we recommend you use a tool that's in wide use in the business world. It's called a business model canvas. It's in such wide use, in fact, that you can Google business model canvas and in less than a second, produce about 134 million pages that tell you all about it. Click on the images and you'll find page after page of them that you can download if you wish. If you go up on YouTube, search for Business Model Canvas. You'll find hundreds of tutorials that'll tell you how to use it. Animated videos, talking heads, and even interactive forms that you can fill out online, which is probably the most convenient way to do it. So I'm not going to waste my time and yours right now telling you how to use it. 
I'll just explain what your tasks are and let you have a blast finding the best tutorial to explain how in detail to use it. What I will do, however, is tell you what you're going to use it for and why it's important. From your mission statement, you've deliberately put boundaries around both the products or services you intend to provide and those who you will market them to. Now you're going to use the business model canvas to paint the big picture of your business without coloring outside of those lines. On the business model canvas, you'll find two boxes that offer you the opportunity to show where your income will come from. Obviously, this is the most important element of your business. The first of these is the center box on the form, which is labeled Value Proposition. That term should serve as a reminder to you that the goods and services you provide are important, not because you make money on them, but because the value of those products and services entitles you to the money you make on them. In any case, in that column, you'll list as many products and services as you can think of that you plan to be able to deliver. Many who provide the services, after giving it a little thought, can find products related to those services that they also can offer. And similarly, products will suggest services as well. Again, the best way to populate that column, and the rest of them, by the way, is the green light brainstorming that reaches deep into your creativity so you don't miss any possibilities. The next most important column, not far behind in importance, is the column on the right, which is labeled Customer Segments. This is labeled in that way to indicate that the target market you identified in your mission statement can now be expanded and broken down into a bunch of separate elements, each having a different reason for needing or wanting what you offer. Again, you can best fill this column using the green light process. An interesting byproduct of this will be that as you complete both lists, you'll find that each feeds the other one. As you examine each product or service, you may come up with additional products for someone who might want or need it, and vice versa. Contemplation of a likely consumer might suggest another product or service. The other spaces on the right side of the form relate to the income from your business, and I'll leave the tutorials to deal with them. I will say that if you're stuck, take a moment or two to add to the customer relationships box and that might add something new to your target market. Conceptually, your sources of income will be listed in the large box that's appropriately labeled Revenue Streams. Note that nowhere on this form is there any place for numbers. They'll come later. The left side of the form deals with what's likely to cost you to be in business. Again, I'll leave it to the tutorials to guide you there. However, you'll get the best guidance when you ask your accountant to provide you with a relevant chart of accounts for the business you're pursuing. The chart of accounts is divided into two general categories. The first one contains the accounts that will be included in your profit and loss statement. This financial statement is produced by every business, from Lucy's Lemonade Stand to General Motors, and it identifies every source of income over a period of time. It also identifies every cost to the company over the same period and it shows whether the company made any money or lost money over that period. The other category is called a balance sheet, and unlike the profit and loss statement, which gives you a picture of what happened over time, this statement is a snapshot of your business at the end of that period. This statement lists asset accounts, which list and give you the value of everything you own, 
liability accounts list every obligation you have to pay, what you owe, and subtracting what you owe from what you own, you show the equity in your company, which is the value of your company on paper. There are some other nuances I won't get into now, like the value of intangible assets, like intellectual property and goodwill, both being accounts that list things you can't see or feel but still have value. So, using Lucy's Lemonade Stand as an example, during the past week, Lucy might have sold 30 glasses of lemonade at 50 cents a glass to bring in $15. She might have spent $10 on lemons, sugar, and other stuff and made a profit of $5 for the week. Those would be the elements of her profit and loss, or P&L statement. At the end of that week, Lucy would add the profit to the cash she's already accumulated. Let's say she already had $10. That would mean that her cash account would now be 15. She could also list the value of her stand. Say her dad did a nice job and that asset is worth $25. The total of her asset accounts would be $40 then. If she promised her dad that she'd reimburse him for the lumber he used to make her stand, that would be a liability. And she would deduct what she owes him from her assets as well as any other liabilities she might have incurred. And what's left would be her equity. A chart of accounts is a simple listing of all those things. And the importance of using one is because even if you've been in business for a while, you don't want to miss anything, especially expenses. Once you've committed your resources and time in your business, you don't ever want any unpleasant surprises. And that's why we're doing the feasibility study that this podcast addresses. You'll use this chart of accounts to do the financial portion of both your feasibility study and your more formal business plan once you've completed your research. So let's talk about your research. Up to this point, you just think you know who's going to buy what you're selling. Now it's to find out with some certainty. Your job will be to compile enough data to know how big the market is for what you're selling. That way, your guesswork will be backed up with facts. Facts you need to know now, and facts those you might want to borrow money from or you might want to ask to invest in your business are going to need. Specifically, you're going to want to find out how many of those you describe as your target market there are within the area in which you plan to market. It might be just in the vicinity of a brick-and-mortar store you plan to open, or in the world, since the Internet has opened such a market for many. And you'll want to check your competition, assuming you have some, to find out what the traffic will bear, plus a little more if you can show that you're unique enough to warrant it. Where might you get that information? It ain't like the old days when the reference department of the public library was your best source. Or worse yet, you had to write to Washington, D.C., your state capital, or your county hall and wait weeks to get the information you were looking for. It's now at your fingertips with a mouse clip. First, let's talk about getting data about your competition. That's a must. Unless you're familiar with your competition, you can't properly price your goods or services. That doesn't mean you have to price what you're selling lower than anyone else. It just means you have to know where your product fits into the marketplace. If you're introducing a product that's new and unique, a pioneer in that market, then consider the need you are fulfilling and search Google for solutions to that need. If it's the same or similar to what's being offered out there, then pretend you want to buy that product and do a search on it. Download all the information you can find about it. Record the names of your competitions 
or close to competitors and the prices they're asking for their wares or services. Create a database of all the information you can obtain and put it in a spreadsheet. Next, you'll want to analyze the size and scope of the market you're targeting, depending on how you're defining it. Demographics, geographical location, age, gender, race, or any other parameter, you'll want to go to the place on the internet where you can obtain information about each of those parameters. The best source for this kind of data comes from sources like the Chambers of Commerce, national, state, county, or local. Or you can seek information from the organization that represents the industry or business category you're in. Use your head, write down all the possible sources of this information you're looking for, and if the first one you go to can't provide it, ask them for their suggestions. Usually they'll be glad to give you their ideas about a better source. When you've finally found what you need, the size of the market you're addressing, for example, the number of such residents in a geographical area, the number of users of a similar product, the number of families who drive the cars you're trying to equip, and so on, You'll want to find a source that will give you more than just a guess and how much of that market you can expect to make into customers or clients. Competitors are usually happy to boast about the size of their market share, so find one that's closest to what you offer and estimate a bit lower just to be on the safe side. If you have something so unique that there are few or no comparables, take pains to be modest in estimating your potential sales. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at SCORE.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is that their services are offered at no cost to you. At SCORE.org, you can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise. And you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out! SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. When you've gathered enough data to make you confident in your estimates of sales, you're ready to go to work on your financials. Once again, you'll trot out your spreadsheet, and on the left, you'll create a column showing your chart of accounts in the following order. And you can find a template called Feasibility Study PDF in the reference library on our website, moneybusinessmore.com. At the top of the column, you'll start with your cash on hand. Beneath that, you'll list the assets you'll have to purchase to bring in the revenue in your first year. And you'll leave a space for that total as well as another space for the funds remaining after you buy them. Next, you'll list every possible source of income you might expect to generate revenue from. Look at your chart of accounts and your business model canvas to make sure you don't miss any. Then, provide a space for the total income. Next, you'll list all of your anticipated expenses. This is especially important, and it's essential that you don't miss anything. The purpose of this exercise is both to make sure that you don't kid yourself about whether your ideal will work or not, 
And later, when you prepare your final business plan, you're going to want those who rely on it and decide whether they want to fund your enterprise or not to see that you're responsible, professional, and haven't tried to kid either yourself or them. This is where a complete chart of accounts is essential. If you haven't already asked your accountant for one, then show him or her what you've included and ask for any additional thoughts they might have. When you've completed listing expenses and provided a space to total them, then add a space where you can place the result of adding your total income to the sum of the funds you start with and subtract your expenses. That total will be your net profit. At the top of the next five columns, place the labels year one, year two, year three, and so on through year five. You're now ready to go to work on the financial analysis of your business. Starting with the first year, enter the dollar values for each of the accounts you've listed. These dollar values should be the result of your market study and your study of your competition and all of the data you've collected with your Google searches and foraging for information you've collected. It's important to understate your income and overstate your expenses. I'll say that again. It's important to understate your income and overstate your expenses. That way you'll avoid those unpleasant surprises I've been talking about. By being modest in your forecasting, you'll more likely be right when it's time for you to open your doors and invest all you have in your venture. When you've attached values to each item, add the assets you'll buy to open your doors and subtract that total from your cash, putting that result in the space you've provided. Then total your income and enter that total in that space, total your expenses and do the same with that total. Then add your total income to the remaining cash, subtract your expenses, and the result will be your profit or loss for the first year. Don't worry about a loss. If that's what shows up, it's likely that in your first year, unless you have substantial funds, it'll be difficult to show a profit. What with having to buy the assets you need to produce your income, and then having startup expenses that you'll not repeat in subsequent years. If you do show a loss, your costs exceed your income, this is when you'll determine whether or not it makes sense to get funds from others to make your plan work. At this point, you'll add the necessary funds to your starting assets and be sure to add whatever payments you might have to make as well, based on terms you can research by Googling enough bank sites to assure yourself that you can reasonably assess what those payments of principal and interest are going to be. If you haven't already done so, I'd suggest you listen to my podcast entitled Borrow Intelligently to give you some sound advice about borrowing. Rich Kirshen has also put out an excellent podcast on building your credit, if you haven't done that yet. Do the same for the second year, this time showing reasonable growth, growth that you can reasonably justify with your relevant data. Show how your marketing efforts produced increased revenues each year. Show also your expenses. They should be somewhat lower in the second year because you don't have the startup costs you had in the first year. Hopefully, because you're doing more, Maybe you've been able to implement some economies of scale that will reduce your cost even further. You may need to go back to increase the borrowed funds and their payments to be able to finance the growth that you're looking for. With your profits from the second year at the top of the column for your third year, you can repeat your efforts for the third, fourth, and fifth year. By the time you forecast your activity for all five years, you've been able to demonstrate that your business will grow to the point where, at the end of that time, you're producing a profit that will compare with what you expected or hoped you'd be able to produce to meet your goals 
and finance the dream we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. One more thing I need to include here. Be sure to plan on paying yourself a salary that's befitting a CEO of a company of the size you expect it to be in five years. Not only is it important to pay yourself, but it's just as important to provide for your ability to hire a CEO and pay him or her should you either be incapacitated or want to sell your company and retire at a later date. Don't forget that when you compare your anticipated profits with what it's going to cost you to finance your dream, you can deduct as much as three-quarters of that salary in the comparison because your salary, net of taxes, is going to be an integral part of realizing that dream. So what if it falls short? Does that mean your venture is not feasible? Hardly. You have two possible options to continue. The first and best, because you don't want to give up on anything you wanted in your future if you don't have to, is to go back and analyze both your value propositions and your target markets. If your green light brainstorming session yielded a long list of both, and you have chosen only the top few of either or both for your planning, you have the option of adding one or more from each of those columns on your business model canvas. You can then go back to your feasibility study and rework it to include the additional revenue you might reasonably expect from adding those products, services, or markets. What you don't want to do is merely go back without reason and rework your income or expenses to produce a more favorable result. That would negate all the effort you've made to eliminate unpleasant surprises and it would be about as sensible as cheating at solitaire. Your action in making those figures modest puts you on the right side of things when you actually operate your business and find that your surprises are pleasant and give you a surplus instead of having to live with the pressure that comes from not making enough money to pay your bills. If your effort to find ways to expand your business to meet your goals is not sufficient, then the other option is to revisit the ideal quality of life that you've dreamed about and modify it to fit your forecast. Maybe you have to give up your helicopter, your extended vacations, or some of the other luxuries that you enjoy building into your ambitions and create a bit more modest expectation. If your actual operation is more productive than you expected, you may very well be able to afford those luxuries sometime down the road. In any case, if, in spite of your doing your best with those options, you're not able to make your plan meet your goal, the lifestyle you need to support is beyond your means, then you've done your job and done it well. Your feasibility study will have done exactly what it was supposed to do, and you can be grateful that the process had kept you from overextending yourself and getting into financial trouble. Had you not done this work, you might have foreclosed on your ever being able to realize your dream because you damaged your credit score irreparably and committed yourself to a life of financial pressure that would be far worse than simply not living as comfortably as you'd hoped you could. However, if all has gone well and you've matched your goals with your pro forma, then you're ready to take the next step, which, because you've done all this hard work already, is going to be pretty easy. You're now ready to prepare your formal business plan so you can persuade those who can be of help to you that they should be eager to make it happen.